The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello. Welcome to the GDUI session at convention entitled Science for Superheroes. I am Maria Hansen, the first vice president of Guide Dog Users, Inc., and I am the program chair this year. I'd like to introduce our president for Guide Dog Users, Inc., Sarah Calhoun, and she'll say a few words to us. Well, thank you, Maria, uh, for the nice introduction, and I would like to thank everyone for uh, joining us uh, either by Zoom or on the ACB radio um, for this wonderful, very interesting topic uh, that we have for you today. And uh, if anyone anyone is interested in uh, joining GDUI, um, our annual membership dues are $15 a year, and we have 11 state affiliates. So you could join also through your state affiliate uh, once you're a member of uh, GDY, whether through your state affiliate or our organization, you're also a member of ACB. Uh, To find out more information, you can visit our website at www.gdui.org or please call our office manager, Lynn Merrill at 1-866-799-8436, and she'll be very happy to help you. We also have a chat list that uh, members and friends of Guide Dog uh, Users Incorporated can join. We have a disaster assistance preparedness program that is to help working teams if they've experienced some sort of catastrophe, such as a tornado, hurricane, flooding, etc., it's um, there to help them uh, as they get back on their feet. And um, we also have a very strong advocacy committee, uh, and we help with access rights, transportation, all kinds of issues that guide dog users may or may not encounter but we were there to help and we have several other committees too so um please feel 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 free to visit our our website and we'd love you to become a member thank you all and enjoy the convention thank you very much sarah so i have a couple of announcements before we get to our program first uh, we have a, a GGI has a couple convention specials. We've reduced uh, uh, the price on three of our products uh, by five dollars while convention is running. So that means this uh, sale goes on through Wednesday, July six. Um, the three products are are um, accessible safety beacon, which is fabulous. I use it all the time when it's dark. The second product is our um, harness pouch where you can uh, attach to your dog's harness and there's room for some poop bags and maybe credit card key, um, some ID, etc. your guide dog laws. Um, and the third item is our harness sign, which is asking people to not pet your dog. Uh, So all of those are reduced by $5. You can purchase them by going to our website, gdui.org, and go to the shopping link, and um, you can use PayPal to order them on our site. If you prefer uh, help with this and somebody to process it for you, you can call our office, and that number again is 866 799-8436. The second announcement I have is the drawing for the plush puppies in leather guide dog harnesses. You've got a little less than two more weeks to purchase tickets. 
We have four pups this year. Uh, we have a yellow lab named Rascal. We have a chocolate lab named Coco, a German shepherd named Banner, and a golden retriever named Bella. The tickets are three for $5 or seven tickets for $10. You have until noon central time on Wednesday, July 6th to purchase tickets. And as with um, our sale items, are, um, you can purchase them at our website, gdui.org, and you'll find the link uh, for the drawing, or you can call uh, the office number. Um, and the dogs, uh, you know, they developed some close friendships among each other. Um, and they, some of them think that when they go to their forever homes, they wouldn't mind having one of their companions with them. So purchase tickets on more than one of them. The third item before we get to our program is door prizes. And we have four of them that we're giving away today. And they are scrubby instant bath mitts. You get five in a package. They're great. Uh, they'll be mailed to you. And uh, so it doesn't matter whether you're in person in Omaha next week or you're virtual, whatever. We'll take care of that. So the four winners for today, well, for, for this session today, are Lolly Lajewski, Nellie Emerson, Devon Wilkins, our friend from Canada, and Colette Arvidson. So congratulations. And now it's time for the main event, which is entitled Science for Superheroes. And they called it puppy love. Oh, I guess they'll never know. How a young heart really feels And why I love her so Someone help me, help me, help me please Is the answer up above How can I Tell this is not a puppy love. So I thank Paul Anka for helping us out there. Um, and uh, the two panelists today are uh, part of the answer to the, that dog's prayers. They're helping out in this area here. So I'd like to introduce our panelists first before uh, we play a, a short video. Uh, 20, it's not real short. Uh, the first person is Zuhe Medina Gonzalez, and she is the Director of Genetics, Reproduction, and puppy care at Southeastern Guide Dogs. She has experience in breeding, whelping, puppy education, and production management. Um, see, before uh, she joined the uh, assistance dog world, um, she worked with Nestle Purina at their product. Um, technology uh, center in Missouri. She has a BS in animal science from New Mexico State University. Our uh, second guest is Lauren Holtz, and she is the, um, I'm at the wrong part of my page. Uh, she is the manager of reproduction and early puppy education at Southeastern Guide Dogs. Her experience is in uh, breeding and colony management, early puppy education, 
and assistance dog training. She oversees the day-to-day and technical practice of the cryogenetics preservation program. And we're going to hear about that shortly. It's a mouthful. Um, Before she joined uh, Southeastern, she worked at Susquehanna Service Dogs in Pennsylvania. And there she became an accredited service dog instructor through Assistant Dogs International. She has a uh, BS in neuroscience from Dickinson College, where she was the founder of an on-campus volunteer puppy raising group. So I want to welcome both of you. I am so happy to have you here. I've been looking forward to this for a few months. Um, And I think before we actually speak with the guests, um, we're going to play a video uh, that was produced by Southeastern. So um, this is pre-recorded, and we'll be uh, doing that now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Facebook Live at Southeastern Guide Dogs. I'm Jennifer Bryan, joined by Lauren, and we have a real special treat for you today. But before we get started, shout out to Progressive Insurance. They're sponsoring this segment of Facebook Live today, and they're a walkathon sponsor for 2022. Oh, wonderful. And we love Progressive. Right? (laughs) Okay, so today is um, a very scientific day, I guess. Yeah. We are going to learn all about cryopreservation. Yes. I got it right. Okay, so Lauren. There's a lot of syllables in that one. There are. (laughs) Why don't you just kind of take it away and tell me what we're doing and, like, what is cryopreservation, first of all? So it's the use of extremely cool temperatures to preserve. Um, You can do it with food, you can do it with uh, tissues, Um, and in this case we're going to do it with um, semen, so sperm cells. Um, So we are going to use liquid nitrogen, um, which is kept at negative 300 degrees Fahrenheit. It's a little cold. Uh, It's very cold (laughs) um, to preserve some some sperm cells, and the the goal here is that um, we can preserve our stud dogs um, long after uh, they are neutered and retired and done with their their career as an active stud. Um, okay. We also have the ability to, if we have a stud dog come from another program and visits us here at Southeastern, which we love to do through our breeding cooperatives and different breeding exchanges in order to uh, get genetic diversity into our colony, um, we have the ability to preserve those stud dogs as well. Okay. And then... In, in today's case, we also have the ability to do something called dual career for our males or our stud dogs. Um, and so what that looks like is um, we will take a, a, a male uh, that is coming in for training. Okay. Instead of so keeping... it's a working dog. Yep. Not, so a, in, not just a breeder. Yeah. So instead okay. of... So he'll come in for training, and what we will do is we will select him for a dual career. So we'll keep him for a short period of time. We will collect preserve those samples, and then ultimately neuter him and then send him back to training um, so that the trainers can place him as a service or guide dog. Very cool. So today we're looking at Bruno, who we actually, you and I were meeting uh, a few weeks ago when he was, we were doing his DNA testing, which was part of his selection process into our our dual career, dual major. So he made it. Yes, so (laughs) he he, passed all the tests. Yes, he did pass all the tests. And so now today, um, I've collected him already um, earlier this morning. Okay. Um, And actually, this isn't his first time collecting. I've also collected him in previous days leading up to today because we'll do it over a number of days so Mm -hmm. that we have enough sample. Um, And so we've collected him, and then ultimately he will get neutered, and then his trainer will be able to place him as either a guide or service dog. That's so it's awesome. a win-win. Yeah. We get the best of, of both worlds in that way. Okay. I always like to just quickly mention the reason why we don't do that with all of our studs, because oftentimes we get asked, why don't you just do that with all of your studs? Then you can have a win-win for, for everybody. They can yeah. become a guide or service dog and become a stud who can sire litters. The reason is we want to have the ability to do both, and because of the wonderful resources we have here at Southeastern, we are able to do both. We are able to have males who have full career for us that looks like 10 litters 
Oh. Or we have um, the ability to do what we do, are doing with Bruno, which is um, collect him, and maybe he'll have you know two or three litters. We don't need a oh, full career out okay. of him and still send him back to training. So the reason why we do that is we want to be able to um, get a lot of data on the, ba the bo boys that are going to have full careers and for the boys that we want to have shorter careers. Maybe they just don't offer us a ton of genetic diversity or we don't need a ton Got of it. litters out of him. So we, we do both. Okay, so this will be interesting. I see an egg over here. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, so really what are you doing? Yeah, really quickly, <laughs> we would have collected him. Like I said, this morning we collected him using our funnel system. Okay. Um, so this is a way of collecting the, the semen sample um, and so that I am... Uh, narrowing down and so that I only am going to take a look at the semen-rich fraction. Um, and so um, all of the other stuff he's going to give in his sample is not important for this process. And in fact, it can be um, it can be actually detrimental to the sample. Oh, so okay. we just want the semen-rich fraction. So we would we take that, did a lot of different calculations, and then the then comes in the egg. <laughs> um, so this is just a chicken egg. And I think this is one of the more bizarre parts of what we're doing today. Uh -huh. So I'm going to crack it. This is always a little bit... No pressure. A little bit stressful, yeah. <laughs> oh. So this is just uh, an egg that we would have gotten, just a normal chicken egg. Shout out to Rob in the kitchen for giving yeah. you an egg today. Yeah. And probably many days. So I just need, um, I just need the yolk. Oh, okay. So I have to divide it up. And this particular one cracked, one of those little cracked kind of funny. Yolk holder things. Oh, I know what I'm getting you. <laughs> for for Christmas? your birthday. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so there's my yolk. And so now I'm going to take this paper towel and I'm trying to basically run off all of the egg white. So the reason okay. why I'm doing this, so egg yolk is actually used in the preservation process. So there okay. are, the membranes in the egg yolk are gonna be protective to the semen cells as they go through that, that freezing process, through the cryogenic preservation process. And you're being very cautious not to touch the yolk, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> It's sort of like surgery. I guess. <laughs> and I, again, I don't want the egg white. That can be actually also uh, detrimental to the process. Uh-huh. So now that's about as good as I'm going to get. So I'm going to take my little Kim Whites and we start blotting it to try to take off any egg white. And then we make a little field around it. We have a very diverse staff here at Southeastern <laughs> Guide Dogs. It was the thing very that was the most surprising to me as well when I first started uh -huh. learning how to do this. I was like, I'm going to have to do with chicken eggs. <laughs> yes. Okay, so now... The, dogs, the puppies aren't going to be born like clucking or anything, right? <laughs> no, hopefully not. <laughs> okay, just check it. <laughs> so now I'm just going to do one confident stab into my egg yolk, and I'm just going to pipe it off egg yolk. Okay. So using this egg yolk here, I'm going to, um, I've actually already got some of it already started. This was just okay. for demo purposes that I did that just now. Um, but we'll add this egg yolk to extender. So there is extender that we get that is specially made for canine semen. Okay. Um, inside of it, it has um, glucose and other types of sugars, saline, so salt, um, and antibiotic, basically everything that the cells are going to need to go through this process along with the egg yolk. And all of those things are going to create a protective okay. barrier around um, the cells so that it can go through this freezing process because uh, sperm cells do not like to be bothered. Okay. Um, they're very sensitive. <laughs> um, they are the smallest cell um, in the mammalian uh, body and they are very delicate and so that's why we will add these different extenders and the, and the egg yolk to prepare it for that freezing process. Okay. So I'm going to show you the next step next now. Step. So now you can imagine that that's been added to extender. Um, and in this case, here is a sample um, from Bruno. This was the sample that, um, one of the samples that we have on him. You can actually see some of the um, sperm has uh, turned into a pellet down there at the bottom. Look at that. So I'm going to mix it up because um, it now comes the time where I'm going to start filling my straws. So each... Uh, each uh, sample that a male gives um, is going to be dependent on that male. Um, so some males are going to give more concentrated uh, samples. Others are going to give more dilute. 
uh, we add extenders based on that, based on uh, how much cells are in mm -hmm. each sample. And then we fill our straws. We do, I do lots of little calculations. Um, shout out to my math teacher yeah, in high school. Sounds like um, it. Junior high and high school. Uh, so we calculate so that we can have the exact, relatively, the exact amount of cells in each straw. And the oh reason for that is we use uh, a certain number of straws each time we use for insemination. So these straws, again, are going to be preserved today, but in two years, in 20 years, in 200 years, we'll be able to pull those out. Um, and they should be preserved the exact same way that they, went the in. state that they were when they went in. Huh. Um, but we also want to be able to know how many cells are in each straw because okay. that's going to tell us how um, how likely the female is going to get pregnant. Right? Okay. So we like to say there are four to five straws per dose, um, and we would breed a female with using our, our frozen semen uh, two to three times, so two to mm -hmm. three different inseminations over a course of a few days. So I'm going to just show you how I fill a straw real quick. Okay. So very, very fascinating. Now the, um, everything is really important that it's kept cold. So I the, the sample has been put in an ice or a water bath. It's been put in a refrigerator um, to help prepare it for the cooling process. So it's in the chill state right now, so okay. refrigerator temperature. Everything that is it's going to be touching should also be in that state. So I just pulled out um, our AI fluid, which is going to help me to fill the straw. Mm -hmm. And then the straw itself is also um, in the in that state. Um, so here is a straw, and we got to zoom in on this. I cannot believe you're able to write like that. Look how yeah. So this is wrote on that. These are all hand I hand label all of our straws. It's crazy. Um, so each straw has the name and ID, so you can see Bruno's name and ID, um, along with LR, so he's a laboratory retriever, and then his microchip number, and then the date, and then SEGD. And the reason why um, we, we do all of that is because, you know, potentially, I'm going to move quickly here, potentially this straw is going to get used 20 years from now. I'm, you know, I may mm -hmm. be not at Southeastern then, um, or... Um, you know, there, there may be other people who are doing the inseminations, um, you know, 20, 30 years from now. So I'm going to fill just a little bit of AI fluid, and that's a, to protect um, the cells from the wick that is up here. I know you aren't going to really be able to see this. You just have to trust me. <laughs> and then each straw holds uh, 0.5 mils of... Uh, the sample. So I'm going to fill up using this micropipette. So that has a little suction, huh? Yep. Okay. Okay. All right. I saw it. <laughs> and then we're going to wipe it off. And then we're going to use this metal bead to seal the straw in place. Oh. And so now this is a, okay. um, a sealed straw. And so there's a piece of, um, or there's a little bit of clay there in the wick um, that will seal this end, and then the metal um, bead will, will seal that end there. Okay. And then this is going to go back in the fridge um, for, uh, for a few more minutes um, until it's time, it's about 30 more minutes until it's time to head over into the liquid nitrogen. So like I said, each straw is going to be filled by hand like that, um, uh -huh. and time is of the essence uh, in that case, um, so that... We, I can fill them within a certain period of time because when you're dealing with uh, frozen, uh, or I guess it's not frozen yet, but um, when yeah. you're dealing with the, the chilling process and into the freezing process, t you're running against the clock because the air temperature is always sure. cooling down your sample, or warming up your sample, yeah. excuse me. Okay. So um, the next step here, so I have another set of sample, uh, or a sample that was, that I have from today. She planned ahead. I did. <laughs> um, and so it has... I filled them. It is. It has the extender in it. Oh, I'm gonna move your yeah. mic up just a second. I here. appreciate it. Sorry about that, guys. Wardrobe malfunction. Yeah. Guess we, we didn't think, we didn't about think that. of that. <laughs> Sorry, oh, well. that was probably really loud for everybody. Here, I gotta. It's worth it. <laughs> um, so really now cool. this, this the sample that I'm taking a look at here is it's been sitting in the vapor of the liquid nitrogen. So I am, the reason why I'm donning oh, all of this I should back up then, PPE, huh? yeah, <laughs> is because this can be potentially dangerous because when you're dealing with negative 300 degrees Fahrenheit temperatures, um, you know, a lot can happen. It, there can be like little mini explosions of the plastic. Um, we do use um, uh, straws that are 
uh, anti-shatter, mm -hmm. uh, but nevertheless, one of those little metal beads could, happen, could pop yeah. out, so we, we'd have to use our PPE. So um, I'm going to put that on. Okay, so if you want to zoom in there oh. are our straws. Again, each one is individually labeled. Um, and so it's been sitting in this vapor so that it can, the cells can, they're getting a little bit colder, right? Uh -huh. It's much colder than refrigeration temperature just in the vapor. Um, it's floating on a uh, styrofoam little island here so that it can be in the vapor but not dunked into the liquid nitrogen. And the next step here is called the deep plunge. And then you're going to dunk it, aren't you? <laughs> I'm going to dunk it. So uh, we like to say that this is our Titanic moment. <laughs> so it has been in here for 20 minutes. And so now I'm just going to take the tray and knock my straws straight in to the liquid nitrogen. And so now those are frozen. So we basically just flash froze those straws. So all of those cells have just been frozen in time. Okay. Um, and so uh, that, as long as they stay at that temperature in liquid nitrogen, um, they can stay forever at, at that in that state um, and will be just as good as whatever state they were when they went in okay. basically um, so that's that it, in in terms of the freezing process we sped it up there but that is that is the the final freezing process okay. the next step is to find it a home because it can't live here in the clinic in puppy academy just uh, because of this liquid nitrogen will will uh, evaporate off mm -hmm. And so um, the next step is going to find it a home. So we have okay. three different tanks uh, down below here. Um, our outside studs are located in those tanks, and they have liquid nitrogen in them, and I, I refill them periodically so that they are staying preserved, so all those straws. Um, we probably have about 100 or a little over 100 boys represented in all oh of these. Oh, my gosh. Um, these are current and past southeastern studs are in this tank, and then where Bruno's sample is going to reside until we need it, um, for insemination on a girl, it's going to be in here, which is our dual major um, training dog tank. Okay. So I'm now going to take out a, I'm going to put this lid back on just because I will do this off, that part off camera. <laughs> um, but in here is the samples from uh, previous uh, collections off of Bruno. Like I said, we've been busy. Mm-hmm. So here is where all of those, oh, um, those straws, are, all straws. Uh, are kept. Oh, how interesting. Look yeah. at them all. Yeah. <laughs> and really quickly, I will pull one out, but I just want to show you what it would look like. I know you can't see because, again, we don't want to keep it out into, in the yeah. uh, environment for too long. But each one of those uh, has uh, a cup like this. And then yeah. there are um, these tiny little cups that are different colored and that's how um, I tell our computer pr uh, program, our sperm vision, uh, how to inventory. So I can say Bruno's collection from this date is in the red cup, Got it. in okay. the blue, in the, sorry, in the second canister in the uh, dual career uh, tank. So basically it's a way of inventorying and librarying all of our, all of our samples um, and so that's what all of those straws um, look like in there. Wow. So we're going to take a sample, like I said, from his previous collection today. I am going to get this nice and cold. So remember, everything has to be the temperature. That the liquid nitrogen is kept in. And we are going to take from the black. Okay. So here is a straw right. from Bruno, and I'm going to whiz over here to our water bath. And so this is just room temperature water, um, but in comparison to the temperature of negative 300 degrees Fahrenheit, it's basically like boiling water, and we're bringing those cells back to life basically oh, wow. right now. So we're waking them up uh -huh. um, just like we shocked them into their sleep status, if you will. Um, we're now going to shock them back awake. Okay. Um, so how long do you have to hold it in there? Uh, just a minute okay. here. So we're at 30 seconds. Um, okay. And the reason is because some cells are going to take a little bit longer than others, but for the most part, they all are coming back um, just as, as I put, put the, the sample in. 
Um, so when we do this process, we expect, just right off the top, to lose about 30% of our samples. So if he gave 90% motility um, when we first collected it, when it mm -hmm. was fresh, um, now it's going to be probably 60%. And that's what we would expect. That would be considered normal. And that's why we will collect him a number of times um, to prepare basically for the future. We know that we're not all the cells are going right. to make it or be happy going through this process. Okay. So I already have AI fluid here um, prepped for us. Mm -hmm. um, and now our straw is at um, room temperature and so is the AI fluid. So I'm just going to knock everything down. Okay. And then I'm going to just cut off our tip here. Woo! <laughs> That's on, in a vacuum, basically, so it's sealed there. Okay. And then I just open up the, just a little tip at the end. Give it some air so it'll yep. out. Right. Some basic science yeah, there. I understood that part. <laughs> <laughs> so we are dropping all of that, um, the semen, the extender that's in there, and then a little bit of that egg yolk from before okay. is all in there. And our straw is empty. And actually, if I pull it up here, you'll actually see it kind oh, of is okay. um, kind of yellowish in color. And the reason for that is that egg yolk. So the mm -hmm. egg yolk is added at 20% to our extender. So it's not a lot, but it is. it does color um, our sample there. That's really fascinating, the, yeah. the whole egg thing. I know. It, it surprised <laughs> me too when I first uh, learned of it. But it works really well. Okay, so, so now we're going to take a look. And I like to, this is like the magic show. Oh, so good. we're going to add a motility analysis. Oh, I already have this pulled up from this sample. And we're doing a one-to-one, -one, whoops, one-to-one -one ratio. So I'm basically telling the program which uh, straw I'm using mm -hmm. or which collection I'm using, so um, from which, which collection date. Um, and then I'm also telling the program that I'm taking one straw out so it knows to remove that right. straw from our, or our um, library, basically. And yes, we are wasting this particular straw for for the purposes of basic life, but that's okay. We feel like <laughs> well, it's important. It's important for for our uh, the the sharing of knowledge. So I'm go. just going to get a nice middle middle. So what I mean by that is I'm getting a hopefully a uh, very center. So I'm getting a nice mix of everything. And is it going under the glass? Yes. Okay. It's going on our slide Oh my gosh. There. Look at the and monitor. Yeah, they're, there they are. They are coming back to life. That's amazing. Yep. It's pretty amazing when you think that they were seconds ago. Yeah. Totally in a deep Look freeze that. state. That's, oh my gosh. <laughs> so that I'm now. a magic show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm now going to take a look at um, what, what it looks like. Okay. So we do six different fields on our slide. They look really good. So far, they're about, uh, the program is saying that the motility looks about 60%, so we're happy with that. Uh -huh. But we will take about an average. So what are the little color when you keep doing? Yeah, yeah, I'll show you here. Um, so the red cell, sorry, excuse me, the green cells are cells that are linear, um, and they are cells that the program is saying look really healthy and okay. very promising that they want to become daddy cells. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and then the purple is going to be nonlinear. Those, those cells might just be taking a little longer to come up to temperature. Okay. And then the red cells are going to be um, immobile. So the, we expect that we're going to have some red cells um, that basically are immobile and aren't going to make it through that process. Okay. Okay, well, a few more, few more uh, fields here. And some of also what you're seeing in all of that are, is going to be some of the extender and some of mm -hmm. the um, cells from um, the, the, the egg yolk that we used in the extender. That is just fascinating <laughs> that they were just frozen moments yeah. ago. Okay, so our analysis is complete. Um, and actually what we are seeing is that he gave 
He was at 95% motility when we first collected him for his fresh sample. Mm -hmm. And here for his post-thaw, he's at 64.91% uh, motility. Uh -huh. um, and that's really promising. So um, Bruno had a really nice collection from the beginning. And because of that, even with the natural loss that's going to happen of going through the cryopreservation process, uh -huh. um, he, he's looking really promising for us. So maybe in maybe next month or in 24 months or 24 years we'll have bruno puppies bruno, bruno um, babies, and yeah. it will be really a wonderful thing that we're able to hopefully bruno becomes a guide or service dog and then he'll also be become a daddy for us so wow. really cool this is <laughs> yeah. so interesting i'm, I'm blown away <laughs> Gosh, it was a little longer than our normal Facebook yeah. lives, but I'm pretty sure everybody hung in there because that was that was fascinating, Good. especially when you well, get to see the the moving around. Yeah, at the I, end. I do want to just say this is something that's really special of Southeastern. A lot of you know, most times if you want to do something like this, you'd need to do uh, semen banking with a reproductive specialist, and it's because we have donors like Progressive and and all of our uh, amazing Facebook fans that were able uh, to do this. I mean, all of these programs are because of grants and we have our own. Yeah, that we are able to do this here. So it's a, a pretty cool, yeah, cool place and really cool that we get to do this. Thank so. you. Thank everyone. you. Thank, thank you for that. We, we love what we do. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Laura. Yeah, thank you for taking the time to do that with us. Yep. And wow, that was so cool. Cool. I think I can go. I uh, maybe not. I don't know if I can. All go right. Back we'll see you guys next time. That was terrific. And Lauren, you did a really nice job of audio description here. Well, of, of describing what you were doing. Um, oh. <laughs> that, that was great. So um, I think if what I'd like to do is have you both um, maybe say a few words to us about your program, and then we're going to take questions. And I'm sure a lot of people will want questions to ask a question. Um, do you have a preference on who goes first? I can go. Hi, Maria. This is Zuhay. I can go first. Thanks, Zuhay. Yeah. So um, thank you, everyone, for, for really having us here. We're really excited to be able to share um, you know, what Southeastern does, um, what we um, are really here for, which I know it starts at, like the video, um, it starts small, but it ends up big. And, and our mission is obviously to serve um, as many people as we can. Um, so thank you for, for, for being here and listening to our little part. Um, we appreciate it. Um, obviously Southeastern um, Guide Dogs is in Florida, is in Palmetto, Florida. And um, we have a breeding colony of about anywhere from 45 to 50 females at any time and about 17 males, 16 to 17 males. Um, and we produce about 250 puppies that go into our puppy raising program. Um, obviously we have um, puppy raisers that raise our puppies. Um, and then about a year to about a year and a half, those puppies grow up, then come in for um, uh, formal harness training. Uh, and that's, anywhere from five to six months, um, which includes about a month of class. Uh, so I uh, just wanted to give you a little snippet of what, uh, you know, the our program at Southeastern looks like. Um, and then um, I'll let Lauren kind of talk about how um, our puppy education kind of incorporates that and our reproduction and how it all kind of feeds back to um, the breeding department and the impact it makes on um, actually working dogs. Yeah. So hi, everyone. I'm Lauren. Um, again, I want to just echo what Zuhay said. We are quite flattered to be asked to, to speak with you guys today um, and to, to share some of the kind of behind the scenes of, of what we do. Um, you know, as Maria said, the, the science behind our puppies. Um, so uh, like, like uh, I was introduced, um, I am the manager of reproduction and early puppy education. And um, what Zuhi was alluding to is that obviously, um, you know, we in reproduction are always keeping a tab on what we are producing. Um, and that initially starts obviously from birth. Um, and so, uh, you know, we keep lots and lots of data on our puppies from birth um, 
to eight weeks where we do a formal assessment um, and we monitor them through our early education or early puppy education curriculum. And then we also track how our puppies are doing in puppy raising. Again, all of this is feedback for us in reproduction on how, um, you know, how we're, how our colony is producing. And then obviously um, this culminates in our dogs coming in for training um, and seeing them um, being placed as uh, working dogs, either guide or service dogs. So Southeastern Guide Dogs, we do have um, a service dog uh, team here. Um, those are mainly placed with um, veterans um, with a variety of different disabilities. Um, so it's not just guide dogs. Um, and so when we go to select the next generation of breeding dogs, um, you know, that is something that we were looking at. We're looking at the how the, that puppy has done through their entire um, career or their entire start with us, whether that's, you know, just at that eight week mark um, through their puppy raising. And then again, um, as an adult. And then from there, as I mentioned in the video, we're going to make a decision um, which, which dogs we want to select to become our mommy and daddy dogs, our breeders. Um, and obviously, we feel that it is imperative that the dogs that we are selecting for our breeding colony are the dogs that we believe have the best uh, temperamental traits and health traits that are going to be passed on to their their future generations, their offspring, um, because we obviously want to make better and better working dogs for the people that we serve and the people who use um, our dogs, our guide dog users and our service dog users. Um, and so when we go to select specifically a male, we will make a decision whether we believe that male should have a full working career or be what we call a short term stud. And I mentioned this in the video um, that we will make a decision um, based on um, how many puppies we really want out of that stud. So if, for example, I'll use Bruno, our kind of man of the hour, um, the male that we used uh, in this video, um, the collection that we were looking at. Um, you know, Bruno uh, is an outstanding dog. He proved that he had the temperamental traits and the health traits that we want in our working dogs. Uh, however, uh, he is related to a lot of the dogs that are in our colony. So if we had selected him for a full working uh, career, he probably wouldn't have gotten a lot of uh, action for lack of a better term, we probably wouldn't have been able to use him on a ton of our girls because he is more related to the dogs in our colony. And so because of that, we chose um, to just give him a short-term career. Um, and then that's where we kind of get the best of both worlds in that way um, is that he can go and, and be placed as a working dog um, and, you know, his traits can be used um, to help one individual, but then also we have the ability to freeze um, through that, that cryogenic preservation pro uh, process and use him for future generations um, because maybe we will only try to get one or two litters or three litters out of him um, versus another male who maybe um, we have who is uh, genetically uh, more diverse. Maybe his pedigree um, is less is more diverse. It share is shared less with other females in our program. Um, we might choose to to have him for a full working career, which is ten litters for us um, here at Southeastern. So we will make that decision if we're going to do a long term or short term. And then also, obviously, um, for our males that produce very highly for us, even after those ten litters, it's time to retire him. We'll make that choice um, to collect him for a short period of time as well before he's neutered because we want to just save um, sort of like a little bit of an insurance policy. We want to save a little bit of his sample so that, you know, maybe generations from now um, we can tap back into that even maybe after um, that dog, you know, is, you know, years um, from, from when they were, were a working or a, uh, excuse me, an active stud. So that's a little bit about kind of the decision that goes into selecting our dogs. Um, and like I said, it really does start with our early, early education program and following um, that dog um, through their entire puppy raising um, until selection. Thank you, Lauren and Suhey. This is great. Um, I want to just say for people, I see some people uh, joined a little late and missed some of the video. Uh, this is going to be podcast. And, um, you know, there are also people that are on um, the ACB media stream, not via Zoom. So there are other people that can uh, access this meeting. Uh, what I'd like to do is open this up for questions. Um, and Diane, are you? Can you 
tell us um, about yes, Anne Therese? Glenda Bourne. Okay. What is the actual process? I know you talked about selecting the dogs, but what is the actual process that you go through to select the dogs? The reason I'm asking is because my dog is a female that they were going to use as a, uh, you know, breed dog, but they couldn't because of a mild cardio, and uh, I don't remember what it's called, but anyway, a mild heart condition. That did not keep her from being trained as a dog guide. Beautiful, wonderful dog, um, and they had to they had to rule her out as a uh, a breed. So I'm wondering what you, what all what's the process that you go through? Yeah, thanks, Glenda. Um, so this is actually not um, unheard of. Um, the process of selecting a breeder, besides just the temperamental piece, which um, is, you know, we go through formal assessments. Like I said, we are going to take a look at how that puppy um, was looking at, or how that dog was looking as a puppy, um, because we do really want to be able to narrow down nature versus nurture. So unfortunately, nurture, uh, meaning what the puppy, the amazing work that, you know, your puppy raiser did, um, that doesn't get passed on to the next generation. We wish it did, but that is not how uh, biology works. And so that's the, <laughs> the nurture piece of, um, you know, our work. And it is obviously absolutely vital. That's why our puppy raisers are, you know, just such a, you know, they're, there's not even words to describe how, how, you know, critical they are for, for all of our work. Um, so once we've kind of narrowed down the temperamental piece, we said, okay, this dog has the temperament. And my guess is for your, your girl, that was the case. They love the temperament. Um, they would begin to, or what we do is we begin to take them through experiences. Um, and so here at Southeastern, um, we have our help. We, you know, we have a, a standard for what that looks like um, through ADI and IGDF, um, as well as our own high standards for our, for our health clearances. So what that involves um, is a full um, echocardiogram, um, pen, hip, and OFA. So um, looking at the elbows and hip scores of the dog, um, and then also um, a dilated eye exam with an ophthalmologist. Um, and then obviously we're also going to take a look at that health history of that dog. You know, what does that dog, that puppy look like in the puppy home? You know, are they prone to allergies? If they are, we're not interested in, in pursuing them as a, you know, a, a, with a breeding career. Um, so we'll look at all of those things. And sometimes um, going through that process of, you know, very extensive health testing, um, we will rule out dogs um, who unfortunately can't even, you know, are, they become off the table for um, working or breeding. And then in other times, um, and it sounds like with your girl, um, we will find something. Um, and oftentimes it's, it is a cardiac thing where it's, where, where they will get a score of equivocal, which just means that, um, you know, they're, they are fine for working. It will not affect that dog. Um, you know, at, but, but um, in a overabundance of caution, because we are, um, because, heart traits are highly heritable. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it is the recommendation of the cardiologist to not pursue them as a breeding dog, but they, like I said, they are fine for working. And so that, that, you know, for us, that is always a hard loss because, you know, obviously we have high hopes um, for dogs that we are looking at as potential breeders. Um, but it ends up being, you know, the cherry on top, which is that the dog can usually mm -hmm. end up going on and, and working. And because of all those other great attributes of the dog you know they make a, a great working dog yeah we have another phone number okay. it is well we have a phone number uh, area code 718 ending in 749 go ahead all right thank you hi and thank you so much for being present thank you um for all this information and and it, uh, the last question even spawned some other questions in my mind regarding nature and nurture and statistics and how much you see traits carry through in spite of nurture and what really changes. But my question was, I know the technical details and the technological details may vary, but there's a lot of cryogenic, you know, storing of, of sperm. Zoos do it. All kinds of breeders for all kinds of purposes do it. Humans do it. Um, with our, you know, with ourselves. So is that generally the typical procedure whenever semen is being collected and 
or are there more variations than even like just the tip technical and technological? Hi, thank you so much for, for that question. So yes, the, so every, um, <clears throat> excuse me, every process is going to look a little bit different just because, um, in different species, um, we're not, although we're using the same, um, what they're called extenders for that process, um, believe it or not, every species has almost like a specific formula that they need for those. So it's going to look a little bit different. Um, and each, uh, like at zoos or even in humans or anything like that, each process has to kind of go through almost their own validation process to be able to say, this is, this is the process that gives us the best result. Um, for us, we we did a little bit of trial and error um, to get to the process where we say, this is, this is the best result we we've gotten. And I mean, even Lauren can tell you a little bit right now, we've even experimented with a couple of different extenders, which are, you know, uh, formulated a little bit different from the vendor that we get them from. So I can't speak very much for the human piece of, of it. Um, of course I'm, I'm more versed in the canine, um, world. Um, but it does, uh, the, the system to um, preserve them, um, it is common. I would say 99% of the time liquid nitrogen is going to be used. Um, and then every process is going to be specific for um, each, almost honestly, every species. So it could look a little bit different for turtles. It could look a little bit different for kangaroos or, you know, whatever it might be. So um, the the process that we use here at Southeastern um, has been um, a little bit of trial and error and then some validation to, to, to go with it. So I'll let Lauren um, speak to a little bit more if she, if she would like to yeah. do that. Um, so yeah. And, um, so there's kind of two things I wanted to, to add to that. Um, just like Zuhei said, um, you know, there, we do use different, a few different types of, uh, extenders depending on, um, kind of how a, a male, like the variability from male to male. So a perfect example would be, um, a dog like Bruno. Um, I can use a, um, a two day extender, which means that it will stay in the chill process in the refrigerator for two days um, versus one of my, you know, our other males, Larson, he seems to be doing better when I just do a one day extender on him before I freeze. So there is some variability, but it's um, like Zoe said, it's uh, the extenders that we use and the process that we use is specific for canine um, semen preservation. Um, but that, you know, there might be a slight change almost in the recipe, if you can think of it that mm -hmm. way. It's kind of weird to think about uh, semen freezing, like cooking, but it definitely, there's an element of cooking almost to that where, you know, it's given a longer time to, um, stay chilled versus not. Um, the other thing I wanted to add, um, and I'm not sure if this is maybe a part of your question, um, but, um, maybe asking how often we actually are using our frozen semen. Um, and so here at Southeastern, um, we, we really do, um, kind of almost on principle, believe that if we can allow our our males and our females to um, breed naturally, that we want them to be able to do that. Um, kind of nature knows best. And oftentimes um, we have the best results when we allow mother nature to run its course, which means that if we have a male and a female that we want to breed together, we will do extensive ovulation timing on that female. So we know the optimum days to breed. We also are going to watch her behavior and make sure that she is comfortable with uh, breeding. So that often means that the female is highly receptive. And so it makes our job really easy because she is a, a very willing participant. Um, and then we do have a special room. We call it the canine lounge. Um, and, uh, <laughs> To, I will give points to Maria. I actually have played Puppy Love, that song, before. Oh. Uh, sort of as a joke, but to set the mood. Um, and uh, it is kind of a strange part of your day when you know you're going to have to breed some dogs, but it is the the norm for us um, in genetics and reproduction. And so we will have our, our males and our females meet in that room. We'll watch their behavior and stand close by um, and, and facilitate that live breeding. Um, and like I said, it, it you know, 99% of the time it goes beautifully because both parties are very receptive to what's happening. Um, and if for whatever reason we need to, um, we will we always have the ability to collect a male um, and use that fresh sample um, to breed through an artificial insemination 
process, which is just using a catheter system. Um, and then on, 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 you know, on occasion, we will tap into that cryogenic preservation, our, you know, our tanks that we have, um, if there's a male that we have preserved in there that is of, of interest, um, in which case we will pull those straws out, we will thaw it just like um, I talked through in the video, and then we will artificially inseminate that female using a something called a TCI, which is a trans-cervical insemination um, process, um, where the semen is actually uh, implanted um, right past the cervix in the female. And that's used, we do that via um, a scoping method, um, because as I mentioned in the video, semen cells don't like to be bothered. And so we really <laughs> do want to get them as close to where they need to go uh, as possible. Um, but mm-hmm. for the most part, um, you know, we are allowing our dogs to live breed um, if they can do so safely, which most of the time they can. Or we will do um, a um, fresh collection and then a fresh artificial insemination. So it's just, I collect the male and we run it down the hall to the female. Um, and she looks peanut butter while we um, do that insemination. <laughs> so she's quite pleased with the whole ordeal. Uh, and, you know, the male is always happy to, to help out. <laughs> Here we have uh, another question. Uh, phone number, area code 703, ending in 181. Thank you very much for, this is Wendy Schneider. Thank you very much for coming and talking to us. It's been very interesting to hear about all of this. And uh, I know you want to get the best dog you can. I guess I have a question and a thought. So I'll go with the question first so I don't sound like a a cranky auntie. Um, And my question is, your females, do you... uh, them in the kennel during their breeding time and then send them back to uh, home care when they're not actually breeding or do you just keep them in the kennel? Yeah, um, so we are fortunate here at Southeastern Guide Dogs um, to have a breeder host program. Um, We have an outstanding staff member um, who is our breeder host liaison, and she is responsible for communicating between um, our department, Genetics and Reproduction, um, and our volunteer breeder hosts. So our our volunteer breeder hosts volunteer for the career of our full-time stud dogs and our full-time uh, breeding females. And just like you said, what will happen is actually today is a perfect example. Uh, we had a lovely family who's been on our wait list um, and has applied for one of our breeders to be a breeder host. Um, and they came to campus and we were able to place one of our new females that we just recently selected this month um, with that family. And now she's going to go home with them. Um, we will monitor her um, very closely in the coming weeks. So they will have um, all the resources to be successful in the home. Um, she will get to live a lavish life. Um, uh-huh. I think in this particular case, they told us that they have a swimming pool and this dog loves to swim. So she'll get to enjoy that in her off season. And when she does come into season, um, we will bring her to campus. She will stay in our female uh, breeding kennel wing. Um, and my team um, and I, and along with our medical team, will um, monitor her really closely through her heat cycle. Um, as I mentioned, we'll do ovulation timing on her. Um, She'll get lots of practice with cooperative handling. We use positive reinforcement with all of our breeders um, because we do believe in epigenetics, although that is a topic for another day, Um, Mm -hmm. and and make her comfortable with all of the different equipment and being in the locations that we are going to have our female breeders in. Um, And she'll hang out with us for about three weeks Um, If we are breeding her, we will go through that process and then she will go home to her breeder host um, for about two weeks. Um, At the 30-day mark from her ovulation, um, she will come in for an ultrasound, so we'll be able to confirm her pregnant, and then she'll go back to her breeder host um, until the time when she returns to us to whelp and have her puppies on campus in our nursery. Um, So that is the process. And same with our males. um, Our males, there's a little bit less involved for them because they only have to come in for the the action and then they can uh, head home. Um, But our males also have 
breeder hosts. And sometimes those breeder hosts are their, the dog's puppy raisers. So puppy raisers who live in a close proximity to campus can apply to be um, the breeder host if the dog has been selected. Um, and then uh, they can breeder host. And then all of our breeder hosts, actually I shouldn't say all, I would say about 98% of our breeder hosts um, host to adopt, which means that when that dog is retired, um, you know, that they will be adopted by that breeder host. Um, again, if they're doing that dual career program, that won't be the case um, because we will just use that male for a short period of time, neuter him, and then he, you know, he remains often in training. So our trainers can continue to work him and do routes um, and lots of their, you know, their blindfolds and all of their training here on campus. Um, and I just have to have a few meetings with him um, and then he can be neutered and placed. All right. Um, we have one more hand raised. And we've got uh, about eight minutes left. Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. And thank you for your presentation. I didn't catch all of it. I'm glad to know that it will be podcasted. <clears throat> some of the video was lost on me because I didn't understand some of what you were talking about in the description. But... Um, my question is, what is your, do you already have success rate on this? Are you already using some of your frozen specimens or is this for future breeding? Hi, Patty. Thank you for the question. Um, so we have, we have our, it's been a program that has been established for quite a few years now. So we have had litters that have come from, um, you know, frozen and cryopreserved semen. So we do, um, actually we have a mama who herself was from a cryopreserved, um, litter who just had puppies. So if it wasn't, if it wasn't because of this program, we wouldn't have had her and then she wouldn't have had puppies. So, um, it's been a program that has been established now. We have had litters in the past before. Wonderful. And so, um, gosh, I had another question. Well, it's gone. Okay, I won't take up any more time. It went wherever things go when they disappear. Sorry. Thank you for the question. Fantastic presentation. Thank, Thank you, so much, Patty. Diane, may I ask a question? Yes. Um, which breeds um, are you preserving the semen from? I, I know in the past, Southeastern once in a while uses some more esoteric breeds, um, but for this program, which breeds do you use? Yeah. Um, so historically, um, like you mentioned, Southeastern has tried lots of different breeds, um, you know, really trying to find what worked best for us. Um, but, and Zuhay will have to tell, maybe give us the timeline on that. Um, but I can say definitively, um, the only uh, studs that we are currently freezing on are um, Labradors or our Goldadors. So Lab Golden Crosses. Mm-hmm. Um, about two and a half years ago, um, mm-hmm. Southeastern uh, made this decision to retire all of our uh, uh, golden retriever stud dogs um, mm-hmm. and instead really steer towards the Labrador. So um, we are only currently placing Labradors and Goldadors. So that's the Lab Golden Cross. Okay. Um, and we currently have no uh, breeding golden retrievers. So again, we only have labs and lab golden crosses in our program. Um, and frozen, we only have similarly, um, we have mainly labs or uh, lab golden crosses, the golden door. I think we have a couple of golden retrievers if for whatever reason we wanted to ever go back to doing a 50-50 lab um, golden mm-hmm. litter. Um, but that is who we are freezing now. Um, and and that is also the dogs, the breed that we are exclusively using um, for breeding moving forward. So um, over the generations, we expect as we breed out the golden retriever um, in, you know, in our lines that we will get back to full Labradors. Um, but currently it's just full Labradors or the Goldadors. Um, and some of those Goldadors are, you know, third generation, fourth generation. Um, we made that decision because um, for our, uh, clientele that was the goldens um or the excuse me the the labradors and the goldadors were were proving to be the most successful um and so that's the the way that we steered our breeding colony and that's kind of the beauty behind the science is that you can you know the data really tells us where we need to to steer our colony and um you know and and we're able to do that pretty quickly um you know through the generations 
Okay, you have um, four minutes left. Uh, we have two raised hands. Um, one of them has not spoken. Okay. And that's Dan Marshall. My question is, do you ever work with other guide dog schools to, to help the gene pool? Hi, Dan. Yes, we actually do. Um, we are actually in a breeding cooperative with, um, uh, I believe it's, or about 40 different um, assistance dog schools. And it's, um, it falls right now, it falls under the umbrella of ADI. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's called the um, Assistance Dog International Breeding Cooperative. It is, however, going international at this point. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, yes, we do do a lot of sharing with whether it's semen sharing, whether it's, you know, puppy sharing. Um, all of us who are uh, breeding assistance dogs know the importance of um, genetic diversity. So we really strive to be able to um, hold the same standards within the cooperative, whether it's temperament and health, um, health screenings, um, and being able to, to share the same information, um, to be able to select, um, and help each other in that way. I can tell you just by working with, um, you know, the career that I've built here and also with, um, with other organizations, there are, there's a European breeding cooperative. There is an Asian breeding cooperative. So, um, all around the world, um, guide dog schools and other assistance dog schools really know the importance of, um, sharing genetics. So we don't, um, so we really keep our genetic diversity, uh, high and able to, to be able to share traits, um, amongst each other within the breeding colonies. Yeah, and I'll just, I know we're, we're tied on time, but it is kind of exciting and real-time, real-world stuff. Um, we actually have a, a litter due this weekend in our colony, mm-hmm. um, and that female was bred um, by a by artificial insemination on frozen um, semen that was uh, sent over from Croatia. So there's a perfect example, uh-huh. real-time, um, you know, the, the desire for genetic diversity. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a happening science and it's something that, you know, is ever evolving and we're really lucky that we get to collaborate in such an outstanding industry. Okay. Okay. Now you've got um, a minute left in this session. I, I know you have another session coming up, right? Yeah. So. If, if somebody can be really short, you said there was one more hand. If it's a real quick question, then we, we have to be out of here on the quarter hour. Okay. Again, I'm going to go to someone gotcha. who hasn't spoken yet. Yep. And that is Andrea Connor. Hi, um, I have a question. Have you tracked the number of puppies um, from a brood that was artificially inseminated with frozen sperm? Are the litters smaller or equal to the natural? Um, t- uh, generally, they tend. I'll be quick. Um, um, generally, they tend to be sometimes a little smaller, but it can vary. It varies really on um, the the quality of the semen and also the timing of your ovulation. That's very important. It goes hand in hand. Um, so honestly, um, our litter size has been a little bit smaller, I'd say, but it's not uncommon um, throughout the industry as well. So it really depends on the semen quality and also your ovulation timing as well. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Okay, well, I want to really thank Zuhei and Lauren for uh, agreeing to this presentation and showing the video. I thought it was fabulous. Um, I'd also like to thank Diane and Doug uh, for the technical help in the background. And um, as I say, this will be a podcast. So more people. um, And I know I've seen the video a couple of times and it's, it's just as interesting each time that I see it. So again, thank you very, very much. Thank Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate um, and we're very, like Lauren said, very happy to to share our knowledge and share what Southeastern does with you guys. Thanks.